Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Um, I was contemplating my forehead wrinkles this morning uh, as we were preparing to come into the studio to record this episode because they are intense. I'm wearing bangs today, so Kristen's just looking at my bangs right now. I was about to say, I, I can't comment because, I mean, your bangs look great. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting them trimmed tomorrow, actually, because I'm starting to not be able to see. But they hide a dark secret, and that is that I have intense forehead wrinkles. And part of this issue is that I tend to make faces, and I tend not to know how um strong and apparent my facial expressions are until I'm in a meeting and people are like, oh, why don't you tell us what you think? Because I've clearly made a face that's like, oh, this is insane. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> in the course of this research, I've discovered that repetitive facial expressions can contribute to wrinkles. And there's all sorts of factors in terms of what gives you wrinkles, when you get them, how bad and severe they're going to be. Um, I don't, I don't want to say bad because some people might love their wrinkles. I am not a fan of my forehead wrinkles. I have considered Botox, Kristen, but here's the thing. I love moving my eyebrows too much. Yeah. The source of my power lies in my eyebrow expressions. Well, and you can just keep rocking bangs. Yeah. Why, why Botox when you can bang? <laughs> can that, that's going to be our new, our new thing. There we go. Yeah. Well, thanks or no thanks to this research. I've had a little trouble getting to sleep oh, no. the past couple days. Oh. Because some of the articles that we read were talking about how sleeping on your stomach and sleeping with your face directly against your sheets, unless they are silk sheets, can also lead to wrinkles because you stay in that position all night. And I am a stomach sleeper to the max. Me too. And in fact, I got up in the middle of the night. And when I got back into bed, it was the first thing that I thought of as I rolled over to get on my stomach in my like weird burrito pillow over my head position (laughs) that I prefer. And it (laughs) took me a little extra time to put podcast research out of my brain. And that is a hazard. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, uh, hearing about our wrinkle worries it's it's nothing new. We we've heard our mothers and our grandmothers stress about their wrinkles. Well, I don't know, maybe you haven't. I have. Um but this is something that people have worried about and struggled with forever. And this is gonna be one of those sminty episodes where we do take it back to ancient Egypt and ancient Greece, and then we get to talk about the Victorians too. But in response to that one listener who months ago was teasing us about jumping from ancient Egypt to the Victorians. All the time, which we do because those are our favorite people. There, there is a little bit of stuff in between. Yeah, and really quickly, I want to note that uh, I don't know that I so much worry about my wrinkles as I worry about worrying about my wrinkles because I don't want to worry about my wrinkles, Caroline. I don't want to care. I want to accept my crow's feet and laugh lines and not yeah. buy into all the marketing that we're going to talk about in the second half of the podcast. Um, but one thing that is uh, unabashedly delightful mm-hmm. in all of this are the lengths that we have gone to, especially we women have gone to 
to avoid and erase wrinkles throughout time. Oh, forever. And I mean, it's it's wrinkles. It's aging. I mean, it's that fear of getting old and dying. But it's more than that. It's the fear of just appearing to get older. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole longstanding patriarchal cultural issue of women being valued for youth and fertility and youthful beauty, especially. Well, so let's dive into this timeline. A lot of it's coming from both Marie Claire and Into the Gloss, in addition to a couple other sources. But let's travel back to ancient Egypt. There were a lot of women who underwent this super time-intensive process to create oil out of fenugreek, which then they'd rub all over themselves to try to keep themselves moisturized and glistening and wrinkle-free. And Cleopatra allegedly bathed in the milk of hundreds of donkeys. (laughs) Because I guess when you're Cleopatra, you can do that. Yeah. You can have people go milk some donkeys. Yeah, I'm sure she smelled great. Um, But, you know, she was onto something because, people, the alpha hydroxy acids in milk do actually have skin softening and potentially anti-aging properties. Like when you read about... You know, there's so many wrinkle treatments out there that don't work. They, they're basically snake oil. Alpha hydroxy acids are mentioned over and over again as something that actually can help you fight physical signs of aging. Now you say it's snake oil, but what if it's <laughs> fenugreek oil? Then might it work? Possibly. Quite there we possibly. go. Well, then if we jump to the Greeks and Romans, they would mix mud and crocodile poop. Proving that you will do anything to fix your wrinkles sometimes. And in the Tang Dynasty era in China, Empress Wu Zexian created fairy powder, so-called fairy powder, out of motherwort, which is uh, an herb in the mint family that's also been used to treat and prevent uterine infections. So it's multi-purpose. Now, the next person we're going to talk about probably has the most intensive (laughs) supposed uh, skin regimen that I've ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, 16th century Hungarian countess and serial killer Elizabeth Bathory Duexed supposedly coated herself in the blood of hundreds of virgins. And I say coated herself, not bathed in, because in the comments under one of these articles talking about historical wrinkle treatments, somebody was like, uh, hello, In the time it would take to bleed out hundreds of virgins, the blood would have, like, clumped up and coagulated. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so gross. So I think the more accurate phrase would be to say that she coated herself in blood. But, I mean, this is a thing. Like, Kim Kardashian posted a photo to frickin' social media getting a vampire facial where they, like, use your own blood and something to, like, coat your face to used anti-aging properties, supposedly. I'm horrified. Well, I super appreciate Mary Queen of Scots uh, bathing in white wine, which was said to improve complexion and have antiseptic properties. And, you know, if you want to just relax, take a little sip of your bath. And there you go. Turn on some real housewives. <laughs> get, get a real long, crazy straw yeah. as you're sitting in the tub. Ew, human soup. Um Well, Empress Sisi of Austria used a cream that was a mix of spermaceti, which NBD, it's just the oil in the whale's head, uh, sweet almond oil, and rose water on her face. Where would she get the oil from a whale's head? I'm sure her pet whale. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're an empress, again, kind of like Cleopatra and her donkeys. (laughs) 
Right, exactly. Uh, but don't worry. Um, if you're not into spermaceti and killing whales, you can just use a mix like Cece did of raw veal and strawberries underneath a leather mask. Which sounds like she just puts... <laughs> Which just sounds like a, a fancy ceviche. <laughs> and then get some tortilla chips. If you get your white wine bath and your ceviche mask and tortilla <laughs> chips, I'm telling you what, you got you got yourself an afternoon. I I I'm laughing, but I do honestly think it is fascinating what people have done and still do. In an effort to retain a youthful appearance. And this leads us into my favorite people, the Victorians. One of their tricks of the trade was to use mercury to get rid of wrinkles and blemishes. And it works because it destroys your skin. It like peels it off and then it kills you. So good job, Victorians. Maybe they were like, well, at least we'll go before, you know, a lot of wrinkles set in. Well, die young. Um, in the late 1800s, though, the syringe is invented. And once we got the syringe, we started deciding to try to fill the wrinkles on our face with stuff such as paraffin. Bad idea. Yeah. This is when we get the first chemicals being used for face augmentation, a la old school Botox. And paraffin was the first one they used. And a German doctor was the first person to take someone's own fat and inject it into their face to, quote-unquote, correct, quote-unquote, defects. Yeah, so, yeah, early on, medicine getting involved in the uh, the beauty market. I just love that people were like, oh, we've got a syringe. Let's, <laughs> let's go wild with it. <laughs> well, we can't forget Madame Rowley's toilet mask or face glove, uh, which, horrifyingly, much like uh, Cece's uh, leather mask, you would strap to your face and then sleep in. And according to the advertisement that we looked at, uh, famous society ladies, actresses, bells, etc. use it. That's a quote. Bells, etc. Are we the etc.? Yeah, we're the, we're <laughs> podcasters. Ugh. And they also said in order to convince you, it is recommended by eminent physicians and scientific men. Well, if men say it's okay. Scientific men, Kristen. But I think my favorite product out of all of these was developed in 1889 by stage mom, Margaret Crayson, who discovered that her daughter, Alice, who was a concert pianist, had developed frown lines from staring at her sheet music, or at least (laughs) so she thought. So she developed thin cardboard triangles that could be glued over wrinkle-prone areas overnight to smooth out those creases and prevent your facial muscles from scrunching while you slept because I guess you grimace in your dreams. Oh, dude. (laughs) And they were called frownies. Yeah, I need these. And they still make them. Frownies are on the market in 2016. And I need them because here's the thing. My mother and I share a really unfortunate trait, and that is we frown in our sleep. How do you know this? I just (laughs) told you. Okay, okay. So, exhibit A. Uh, When I was home for Christmas, my mom has a tendency to fall asleep in her chair. So I'm like on my laptop and I look up and my mother is asleep, but she's got her face all scrunched up and she's like she's got a deep frown going on and the the line between the eyes, her knit brow. Um, 
I fell asleep in eighth grade civics class one time, leaning up against the wall, and a friend of mine woke me up and was like, are you upset? What's that? And I was like, I'm asleep. What's going on? Sorry, my teacher in eighth grade. Uh, and she was like, well, you're like frowning. You look so pissed. <laughs> That's exhibit B. Exhibit C. The other morning when I was contemplating my forehead wrinkles, I was also also contemplating the lines between my eyebrows because I clearly like am really concerned about things in my sleep. Oh, yeah. I have a huge furrow between my between my eyebrows. I just it adds character. We're working out problems in our sleep. That's yeah, fine. No, mine is definitely from during my wakeful hours, <laughs> uh, either nervously knitting my brows or scowling. Um, but Caroline, I really hope that you have Amazon primed yourself some frownies. <laughs> I will. I need to. It'll be great. And then, oh, my God, we could uh, think of all of the social media fun we could have. Sorry, I'm just... Getting off track. Dreaming big with those frownies. Well, I know. And then, but another resource that uh, I think would be helpful for us and our listeners to pick up would be The Ladies' Dressing Room, an 1893 book by Baroness Staff, which has a lot of advice that sounds remarkably like stuff you'd see on today's beauty blogs. It's, it's everything. It's, it's everything about your appearance that you could possibly think of. But there is a specific wrinkle section with lots of advice. To watch those facial expressions, ladies, she writes, there would be fewer wrinkles if people would correct themselves of certain bad habits. She lists repeated frowning, uh, lifting the eyebrows at every movement for nothing at all, stereotyped artificial smiles, and watch out, readers. Sitting up late at night reading novels is infallible for drawing that terrible network of crow's feet round the eyes, which disfigures the prettiest face. Well, you know what, Baroness Staff, you know what I have to say to her? She's also racist. Because in her beauty advice, she also talked about how white skin is the only attractive skin out there. There were problems. There there were some issues. 1893 was not the most progressive time for white baronesses <laughs> out there. Um, but her flagrant racism aside, she did have some tips for washing your face. Apparently, I've been washing my face all wrong because I just like, you know, do it all at once and swish my hands all around my face. <laughs> I which I think I have a problem now that I say it out loud. Um, she suggests washing your face from the bottom up and wash your eyes from the temple to the nose and then just mist with water. Yeah, if you're in a dry environment, uh, mist your face with water for an extended period of time, like, quote, some of the millionaires in New York whose skins suffer from overheated rooms. Okay, but this also reminds me of those uh, beauty sections in women's magazines that, uh, that offer, like, beauty regimens for celebrities and women who travel all the time. And I forget which celebrity it was, but she was talking about how... Uh, her trick when she is on a plane is to mist her face because of mm-hmm. the recycled dry air in the plane. I, s- I see that all the time in those women's magazines. And I mean, they still sell all types of face misting water in stores. Uh, you should also try sacrifices, according to lady staff. Uh, be like the one lady that she talks about and you just stay in bed all day until you feel better and your creases have relaxed. I love that. Rather than frowning, if something is getting you down, don't frown. Get in bed until yeah. it goes away. 
But she does allow a few laugh-induced creases because she says it's better to have one wrinkle more and acquire a good quality than a smooth forehead and the faults of a child. That being said, she urges a little rest for the face four or five times a day. No big deal. By shutting the eyes and remaining perfectly still for one, two, or five minutes when it can be done without neglecting anything important. And listeners, this is, uh, has been a little awkward a couple times when I look over at the standing decks <laughs> next to me and Caroline is standing with her eyes closed, stock still. Well, I know because I fail at it every time because as soon as I close my eyes, I start to frown. I know. So it's, you know, there's no winning. Well, then once you get your frownies. I know. Then it'll be all, all it'll be fine. All set. Uh, we could also take a, uh, a tip from the 1910s through the 30s when radioactive masks, straps, patches, and cosmetics were all the rage. Oh, this is a, such a fascinating period when people went <laughs> Lady Gaga over radioactive stuff, including... Chin straps. Tell me about these radio chin straps, please. Yeah. So, okay, you have to keep in mind the context of the time. So Marie and Pierre Curie had done all this stuff with radioactive materials. They, you know, the world was amazed by these advancements in science. And so you get the radio chin straps, which you would, you know, strap to your face. And they supposedly provided a continuous, steady current of energy flowing into the skin. And before long, the wrinkles have disappeared. The nerves have become strong and energized and the tired muscles have become braced up and ready for service. (laughs) What service? I haven't the slightest idea. You also had chemolite radioactive beauty plasma, which was supposedly uh, volcanic mud from the Carpathian Mountains that was to be used as a daily cream. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that that doesn't sound too far away from the mud and crocodile poop of the ancient Romans and Greeks. Right, right. And then there was Thoradia, which contained thorium chloride and radium bromide, which are both horrifyingly radioactive (laughs) ingredients, P.S. And then as we continue our timeline, we see in the 1940s that injectable silicone becomes a thing for the first time. In the 70s and 80s, injectable bovine collagen is developed and people are once again injecting their own fat into their faces. And between 2000 and 2012, Botox treatments rose 680 percent. Yeah, there was some initial, like, batitudes about Botox, you know, being a neurotoxin, and so people weren't so into it. But they've gotten over those uh, those quibbles, for sure. And now Botox is super common. It's even used in your armpits if you have hyperhidrosis. There we go. Yeah, it's people use it to help uh, ease migraines. I mean, they use it for everything. And it can even do your laundry. <laughs> Just... Just keep a jar of Botox around. Well, we've now arrived at our anti-aging, anti-wrinkle industry today. And we've got lots to talk about, including how wrinkles are actually formed scientifically. And we'll talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. You know, I feel like when I first attempted to make a website, things would have been easier if I'd had Squarespace at my disposal instead of just putting pictures of corgis everywhere, which, you know, I eventually did take it down. So maybe now's the time to use Squarespace to build my personal website. Corgispace.com, right, Caroline? Yeah, exactly. What else would it be? (laughs) 
The great thing about Squarespace is that their sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level, and there's no coding required. They've got intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and you can get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So you can start your free trial site today at squarespace.com. And when Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners decide to sign up for Squarespace, be sure to use the offer code MOMSTUFF to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, you should. So it should come as no surprise to anyone listening that today's anti-aging business is booming. (laughs) That's a play on words because it's mostly thanks to the baby boomer generation. Uh, According to Transparency Market Research in August of 2015, they predict that by 2019, the anti-aging market will be worth $191.7 billion. And for a little perspective, they valued it at $122.3 billion in 2013. Granted, you will see different valuations depending on what you include in the beauty and anti-aging market. If you're including just like creams and lotions and potions, if you're including dermatological services and things like that. Um, but that should just give you a little tip as to how booming this business is. And a lot of that, like you said, is thanks to the boomer generation. People born between 1946 and 1964 are the biggest consumers of anti-aging products and services, but... People our age are all about this newer uh, industry of prejuvenation treatments. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I've seen in plenty of magazines that women in their early 20s should start using anti-aging products. And really, I think the key is just to use sunscreen like our mothers did tell us that that is like super key and in, in, um slowing down the aging process. But also, I knew a girl at my last job who in her early 20s started getting Botox in her forehead because she was like, well, this is how you prevent wrinkles. You just keep the muscles from moving. Oh, listen, for a little bit of sad news, today, before we came into the podcast studio, news broke that a beauty queen in Brazil named Raquel Santos, who's 28 years old, Mm -hmm. died undergoing a wrinkle surgery uh, it was called a Chinese mustache, and it is supposed to remove the wrinkles or, like around your your mouth. 28 years old. Oh, my God. I've never heard of that procedure. And that's so tragic. And appa- I mean, she'd apparently undergone lots of you know plastic surgery and procedures like that. But Ooh. listen, yeah, I mean, that is not worth it. Nope. Yikes. Um, But it is interesting to see. I did not realize that. This market, the anti-aging market, is actually booming the biggest in the United States. It's huge in North America, Europe, and the Asia-Pacific region, but super big among American women who lead the way in those anti-aging facial skin care products when compared to women in Germany, France, and the UK. So we know that we've spent a ton of time throughout history worrying about wrinkles, and we spend a ton of money Today, worrying about wrinkles, but what causes them anatomically? What is going on? Because, I mean, probably every single listener has heard the connection to the sun. I mean, you're likeliest to form wrinkles on your face, neck, hands and arms because those are the most exposed to the sun. But what's going on to to make our wrinkles? 
Well, we looked at this interesting bit of research coming out of Brown University that was looking at this theoretical model of how wrinkles form in a bunch of different materials. They weren't necessarily writing about human skin, but they were arguing that their same logic could possibly hold true for skin. So basically, when something wrinkles, you have a stiff surface, which is called the stiffness boundary layer with softer sublayers. But when you compress it, it begins to buckle and form patterns on the surface. And as that compression increases, groups of ripples then become a single crease where the surface dips down to the sublayers. This is just making me think of Ruffles potato chips. Well, but at least those are salty and delicious. I know. Mmm, potato chips. Well, so you mentioned the sun, Kristen. What else can cause those those wrinkles, those pesky wrinkles? Well, first of all, we've got our genes. I mean, before we even get into the sun, obviously, we're given genes in the womb. And your genes determine your skin structure and texture. But the biggest wrinkle maker really is the sun because of that UV exposure. And that accelerates aging and is the primary cause of early onset wrinkles because those UV rays break down our skin's Connective fibers, collagen and elastin, which means that our skin loses strength and flexibility, which leads to that premature sagging and wrinkling. Man, I'm telling you, go get some self-tanner cream. Yeah. Like as much as I love being in the sun, I am I it's just so bad for you. It's so bad for your skin and your body. And oh, just don't do it. And of course, age, obviously age is a factor. As you age, your skin becomes less elastic and more fragile. It also produces less oil, which makes it appear more wrinkled. You have your deeper down fat diminishing, which contributes to saggier skin and therefore more pronounced wrinkles. And for anyone who's ever flipped through a woman's magazine probably knows diet contributes to it as well. You have sugary and starchy foods that promote inflammation and accelerate aging because they're associated with, again, that collagen and elastin becoming stiff and less springy. And the chemicals in foods like, say, white bread and my beloved potato chips help make us even more susceptible to sun damage. And if you're not getting enough good fats, think avocados, think salmon to keep those skin, that skin looking supple, that could contribute to wrinkles as well. You need to get all of those good veggies, the vitamins in them promote collagen and protein. Not getting enough protein means that you're going to have more cracks and wrinkles in the skin. And in case you needed more of a reason, you should also be drinking plenty of water, which even though that's not going to be some miracle cure-all, when your skin is nicely moisturized, whether that is through drinking a ton of water or actually using lotion, just the appearance of wrinkles will not be as obvious. And stress is a major culprit as well because stress triggers a release of the hormone cortisol, which causes cell damage. And so that inflammatory response isn't good for our skin either. And if you're really stressed, you probably aren't getting great sleep. And that's going to exacerbate the problem as well because sleep helps counteract the effects of stress because that's when our growth hormones are released. Right. So human growth hormone basically works with your collagen to maintain skin and muscle composition. But as you age, your body's production of collagen slows, which leads to that looser and thinner skin. 
And then there's the basics that we say in almost any health episode. You need to be getting enough exercise, not drinking excess alcohol, not smoking. Studies have found that exerciser skin is actually thicker and has more healthy collagen. Exercise is also, as you've probably read, too, an anti-inflammatory wonder drug. And for anyone who has tied one on, you probably know the next morning, your skin is so, so, so dry. I mean, in addition to the inflammation response alcohol triggers and the, the the broken capillaries and cell damage that it can cause as our bodies metabolize it, it dehydrates us and leaves us prone to fine lines, dullness, and enlarged pores. And I can firsthand tell you the horror of looking at hangover face skin. It's different in your 30s, that's for sure. Yes, it is. I mean, there are even times in my 20s. (laughs) Well, also, everybody, please quit smoking today, right now, because smoking reduces blood and nutrient supplies. And that accelerates aging. Not to mention that repeated kissy face you're making when you're sucking on a cigarette is part of the whole Victorians being right about not making repeated facial expressions. So those repeated facial expressions end up causing those creases that get compressed over and over again. So don't squint, people. Wear sunglasses. Wear your moisturizing eye cream with peptides. Those are proteins. Don't worry about it. Just Google it. Uh, repetitive smiling. Although, come on, like, let's let's have our laugh lines. These quote unquote injuries are what cause fine lines that repeated use of facial muscles causes grooves to form beneath the skin And as you age, there's less ability to bounce back. And I really enjoyed, uh, speaking of grooves, the description in a study in the British Journal of Dermatology, which said that a wrinkle isn't really different from the rest of your skin. It's just what they call a configuration change, quote, like the grooves worn in an old glove. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot. But, okay, so we, we've been talking about all of this stuff about how aging accelerates, what we're doing to ourselves that could be contributing to the natural aging and wrinkling process. And beyond just sheer, like, human vanity, there are other reasons that maybe we should be concerned about wrinkles and how we perceive them. Uh, there was this one study that found that study participants rated the faces of older adults as sadder and angrier even though their expressions were neutral, basically because their facial wrinkles were causing the mouth to drop and the forehead to crinkle, features that other people often perceive as anger or sadness. So basically, all old folks have resting bitch face. (laughs) According, well, sad, resting sad bitch face. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the implications for this, I mean, this sounds like, oh, that's too bad. But there are actual implications for this because it could affect this. The study author said how older adults are treated in medical settings and in a time when people uh, of a certain age are maybe losing people in their social and family groups. If they look negative, angry and sad they are less likely to be considered approachable. So it might be even harder to form new connections with new people. 
And this also echoes previous research, which found that uh, whippersnappers like us have a hard time determining older people's emotions from their faces because, as they say, wrinkles muddle expression. Yeah. And so there was um, there was some reading that we did where uh, older women were interviewed and we'll talk about this in a little bit. But a lot of them said, you know, I'm just tired of People assuming that I'm tired and angry all the time. Like, I don't feel that way, but people look at me. It's like when I fell asleep in eighth grade. Are you angry about your sleeping? What's going on? Are you so angry about civics? No, I'm just, I frown and then it makes a wrinkle. I'm sorry. But here's a question pertinent to stuff I've never told you. How do, we've talked about age a lot, but what about sex? Do guys and gals experience wrinkles Differently, physically and culturally, the answer is, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So there was a 2013 Japanese study that found that in general, men had more severe wrinkles than women. But but this trend reverses or completely disappears once you get up into the oldest groups that they surveyed. So in all of the age groups they looked at, men showed increased forehead wrinkles compared with women. So maybe I'll have to do some forehead wrinkle comparison with some guys. Um, but there were no gender dependent differences found in upper eyelid wrinkles, as my mother would tell you, because she wants to. She literally talks all the time about how she wants to go get a couple's eye lift with my father. Why? What does that do? Well, obviously, it lifts your eyes, but it makes you look younger. It gets rid of the wrinkles and folds over your eyes. Oh, yeah. She's positively gleeful that her eye doctor told her that because her upper lid droops so much, it could be considered a medically necessary procedure for her vision. It sounds uncomfortable. Oh, but there was another study I was looking at. So be careful if you go in for an eye lift because they looked at they showed basically eye and facial expressions to study participants. And before the eye lift, uh, the person was judged as being, you know, angry, negative, tired. But when they did some computer magic and made the person look as if she'd had an eye lift, the study participants again thought she looks angry, negative, and unapproachable because it had been so severe that now the eyebrows were way up and people were like, ah, she looks like she's mad at me. So there is that sweet spot. So if you're planning to make an eye lift appointment, tell your doctor not to go nuts. Moral of the story, just leave your face alone. Or or that, yeah. I was really fascinated, though, by a study from 2009 in the journal Aesthetic Surgery, which found that women tend to develop laugh lines more because we have fewer sweat glands around our mouths compared to men. And having fewer sweat or sebaceous glands mean that we produce less oil, which protects our skin and keeps it soft. Yeah. Who knew? We also have fewer blood vessels, and so that means less blood flow to the mouth region, which is interesting because it's that blood flow that like keeps you looking all peppy. And unwrinkled. And I feel like lessened blood flow to the mouth region. Like. <laughs> yeah, that does sound like it goes back to that Hungarian countess, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, but women also have uh, muscles around our mouths that are closer to the skin, which might pull the skin in tighter, causing more wrinkles and hormones. Because hormones, no, hormones do everything, right? 
Yeah, I mean, at first, estrogens are helpful. They promote healing, and that actually means, this is pretty cool, women tend to heal from wounds faster. But when menopause hits, your blood flow is reduced, again contributing to lines and furrows, and you have that drop, obviously, in estrogen going on, not to mention the decrease in fat or sebum secreted by our sweat glands, which, of course, is compounded by our lower concentration of sweat glands. Right. Meanwhile, I mean, women who've done hormone replacement therapy reportedly uh, have fewer wrinkles than those not taking any hormones at all, which so I mean, there's another thing to think about. But the thing that compounds all of this, too, especially for women, is the culture, how we perceive and treat women with visible signs of aging. Yeah, we pulled some interesting information from Laura Hurd Clark's book, Facing Age, Women Growing Older in Anti-Aging Culture. Uh, so she talked to a whole bunch of doctors and plastic surgeons and dermatologists. She also talked to a large group of aging women. And one doctor she talked to said that overall they're seeing a lot more both men and women coming in earlier, earlier being ages 35 to 50, wanting more subtle results through non-surgical interventions. Because it used to be you didn't have such a broad availability of, you know, the Botox and all the different types of fillers and things like that that you have now. But now that they're available, we're seeing more younger people both men and women coming in and saying, oh, well, since it's not a drastic surgery, like I feel more comfortable with it. So, yeah, let's just pump some stuff into these wrinkles. Yeah. Um, whenever I go to my dermatologist's office or whenever I'm waiting in the room, the exam room for her to come in, I always look at the, the men's Botox brochures mm-hmm. because it's just fascinating to even see that yeah. advertisement targeted at older gents. But still, though, women do make up the bulk of the demand for both surgical and non-surgical cosmetic procedures. And the explanations provided by the doctors that Clark talked to uh, had a lot to do with stuff that we talk about on the podcast all the time. The doctors acknowledged the pervasiveness of media messages about women's attractiveness and said that this whole like surgical or non-surgical intervention thing might just be an extension of their other quote, beauty work efforts, like trying to wear the right clothes and makeup and hair to be the most flattering to your age, figure, etc. But they also acknowledge that there's just a lot of pressure on women to look good versus men. One even said, yeah, there's this attitude that women get old and men just age. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing. If we talk about hair, when our hair turns gray, which mine has started to do, it is a bit more daunting for women because guys turn into silver foxes and women just start looking kind of old. Well, men, I think, are more valued for being like a distinguished older man who probably has accumulated more wealth and power. Uh, whereas a woman tends to be valued in her younger years for her beauty and fertility. Fertility. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it all goes back to sex and babies. But it's not necessarily just to turn back the clock and look young. More commonly, people have been telling their doctors that they just want their outsides to match their insides and get rid of this whole haggard, tired, negative look. And some doctors even framed it when they spoke with Clark like it's just part of a health regimen uh, with appearance and psychological benefits that 
women who simply want to look natural and be healthy and they just want their faces to reflect that. And I, that's something that I hear echoed from my mom increasingly as she's gotten older, her being vocally insistent with how young and vibrant and healthy she feels and that she never wants to look old. And it is. And, and so that that idea of matching the inside to the outside definitely resonated. And I can understand that, especially if there is an assumption by other people, that if you're perceived to look tired and upset, whereas you're, you're just you and you feel totally fine. Yeah. And so Clark argues that these sort of casual attitudes about, well, I just want to look how I feel have led to increasingly unattainable appearance demands for women in later life. These are costly procedures. They are they can be time consuming. And she had interviewed a whole bunch of women in the late 90s before Botox super took off, before the meteoric rise of all of these non-surgical interventions. And across the board, 100 percent unanimously, they all had strong negative opinions everything from sadness to shock to dismay about their wrinkles. They all express the desire to eliminate them. And Clark calls this the internalization of ageist conceptualizations of physical attractiveness. Yeah. I mean, women looking at themselves in the mirror describe themselves looking crabby, grouchy, withered, miserable. And the older they were, the stronger their reactions were because they interpreted their wrinkles as signs of deterioration. And of course, a sign that, hey, you know what? At some point, you're going to die. And culturally, too, it goes to the whole thing of like, not only do aging men become distinguished, but for many aging women, as we talked about a lot during our episode on women of a certain age, it's a process of feeling like you are disappearing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these women expressed the desire to have their wrinkles disappear. Can we? Should we? Like, what are what are the options that are out there that people think actually work? Well, you have the injections, which thankfully are no longer limited to paraffin. (laughs) Yeah. You now have uh, safer things like... Botox and Restylane and other kinds of fillers. And then, of course, you've got other medical and spa treatments like laser and light resurfacing, chemical peels, dermabrasion. I've had dermabrasion done. It feels real weird, like a like a robot cat is licking your face. It's, it's real weird. Have you had it done? No. Oh, yeah. I, well, I've had microdermabrasion. I'm, I'm sure it's the same thing. Um, of course, there's all the inside out stuff that we already talked about, eating plenty of healthy fats, fruits, vegetables, getting all of that good Hydration, all of those good vitamins to keep your blood pumping. Does LaCroix count as hydration? Because I drink so much of it. uh, Totally. Uh, Right? Sure. Kind of water. It's a liquid. Yeah. Um, and then little tricks like sleeping on your back. Don't squint. Moisturize, but, and don't overwash either. You know, we've talked a lot about oils being stripped away or the underproduction of oil contributing to that dry, wrinkled appearance. Don't get too crazy with your face wash if your skin can't handle it. Yeah, listen, I'm all on board for not overwashing and for moisturizing. But I'm going to sleep on my stomach and squint if the sun is in my eyes. 
Or if I'm incredulous. <laughs> like you are at the advice to sleep on your back. Indeed. I'm not a back sleeper either. I don't like it. And I think that that might be a psychological thing. I don't know. But then there are lots of, of topical aids. I don't want to say cures or fixes. But we mentioned the alpha hydroxy acids, which are natural fruit acids that can help get rid of that top layer of skin and might help boost collagen. You've got retinoids. Uh, tretinoin, which is like a, it's a vitamin A product, is the only FDA approved topical wrinkle treatment. It can help reduce those fine lines and even repair sun damage. I am on tretinoin. Mm-hmm. Slather my face with it every night. Nice. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's nice. I guess it's nice. My dermatologist tells me it's it's smart for for me to do. So we'll see. Well, another dermatologist recommended uh, product would be vitamin C, which can increase collagen production, protect against sun damage, correct pigmentation problems, and improve inflammation. There's the powerful antioxidant idabinone, which can reduce roughness and dryness. And, you know, we talked about human growth factor and then pentapeptides, which are apparently these are a type of protein, but it's apparently a super product that can help boost collagen production. Oh, just it's just making me think about how how simple it was in my grandmother's day when they just put on some Vaseline. Which, FYI, is not a moisturizing ingredient. It is a barrier product that locks moisture in. So apply your moisturizer and then your Vaseline. Yeah, it's not non-comedogenic, right? It can clog your pores. I think so. I think so, too. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, your note about our grandmothers. I mean, I was looking at a picture of my grandparents who died very young. They died in their 60s or late 60s. And... um they look so old. And I, I don't mean that as a judgment. I just mean that culturally, it seems like there's more of this embrace of the look as young as you feel. Whereas with my grandparents, for instance, at the age of, you know, 68, they already looked the way that I just picture someone who's 85. There was no like, I'm just, you know, my grandparents were very like, I'm just not going to mess with any of that stuff. Well, I wondered, though, generationally, if it has to do with even just basic things like a lot more smokers, a lot less sunscreen. Yeah, my mom was known to lie out in the yard with baby oil on. So same. Yeah. And and her mom was a heavy, heavy chain smoker and a daily scotch drinker. And that is what killed her. There you go. Yeah. Not to be too depressing. (laughs) Just keep moisturizing people and drink lots of water and quit smoking. But what do you think, though, about our concern over wrinkles, especially at our age? Because this is something that I've noticed as I, you know, my my 20s closed out and into my 30s. Wrinkles are a common topic of conversation with my girlfriends and me. And so many times when it happens, I'll stop and be like, wait, what are we talking about? This is ridiculous. Should we be caring about this? Well, I I am often mistaken for someone much younger than my age, which I appreciate, which made it even more upsetting when I did look in the mirror the other day after having I hadn't slept well. I was dehydrated. So like that does mess up your skin. But I had like all sorts of lumpiness under my eyes. I've got the intense ripple between the eyebrows. I've got the ripples on the forehead. I was just like, oh, my God, am I just going to look like a super aging college student here in a minute? Like, I don't I don't want to look old. I don't want to be wrinkled. And then I felt that feeling come over me of I just want to look how I feel. 
I don't want to look wrinkled. And so then I was like, oh, boy, okay. (laughs) I need to be like thinking about my my mental status when it comes to wrinkles and aging, because I feel like I'm on the precipice of not accepting it very well. I'm so curious, especially if there are older listeners listening (laughs) um, to know whether this is something unique to say older millennials like we are of worrying about our wrinkles earlier because there's so many options now. Um, we are told, you know, about all of the prejuvenation steps we should be taking, whether it was something when they were 30 that all them and all their girlfriends were talking about, or if this is, this is a byproduct, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious to know that, that kind of generational cultural, issue too, because I just, again, I, like I said, at the top of the podcast, I, I worry more about worrying about it because there's, there's so much other stuff in my life to manage. It's like, I don't want to worry about crow's feet. I just, I really don't, but it's hard not to, when you look in the mirror and you have those days where your face looks bizarre and unfamiliar because that happens partially due to hormones and and, and it is, it's tough to fight that, those little voices in your head that start piping in. Yeah, especially when you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh good, more fine lines under my eyes and a new zit. And then you see a photo of yourself in your early 20s and you see how young you looked. That's a strange sensation too. And the realization of, why didn't I notice how amazing my skin looked when I was 22. And why wasn't I wearing more sunscreen? Yeah. Why wasn't I more comfortable in how I look? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Seriously. That's the thing. I mean, 30 is amazing because, you know, at least in my experience, I'm more comfortable in my skin, literally and figuratively, than I ever have been in my life. And I'm like, but man, if we could just pair that with my my 22-year-old face, (laughs) what a combo. (laughs) Ah, aging. So before we get to listener mail, Caroline and I have a very special guest to introduce who is hosting your new favorite podcast. Oh, nice. Thank you. Julie Douglas, host of Stuff of Life. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me like invade the podcast room. We love it. And hang out here in the corner <laughs> and make s'mores and then all those little other weird rattly things I was doing. You're an amazingly quiet s'more maker. I mean, we just did that whole episode with you making like hundreds of them and we didn't hear anything. Why is the marshmallows really? They, and then they cushion it. Yeah, they do cushion it. I mean, you've got the graham cracker snap, but mm. then the marshmallows really do buffer that. Yeah. And that is not what the podcast is about, just in case you're wondering. So it's not uh, the stuff of s'mores. The stuff of s'mores, mm. the, the stuff of candy. Although earlier we were talking about candy, and there's there's a possibility that candy could make its way Ooh. as a topic. So tell us about the stuff of life. What can we expect to learn about? Well, let me tell you. Um, it is a podcast that uh, really centers on kind of picking apart a certain story or a topic uh, for instance, we have one on emergencies and fear and how they seize us and how we react to them. And we talk to a couple of experts. Um, one of them is a former firefighter and the other one is a SWAT team member. And so they kind of have like their boots on the ground and they talk about how to deal with the fear that you're experiencing during some sort of 
crazy emergency or such. And then uh, we talked to a couple of How Stuff Works folks about their own experiences and how they've dealt with it. So the podcast really kind of takes, um, you know, the expert voice, but also all of the wonderful, amazing, talented folks here and, and kind of gets them in on the game. And, uh, and then we have some wonderful sound design by Noel Brown, our producer. Also stuff I've never told you, producer extraordinaire. Yeah. Well, and for people who are familiar with How Stuff Works podcasts, the stuff of life is a different audio experience. And by different, I mean, it's such a richer soundscape. Uh, yeah, and Noel is amazing. I mean, that's he's got original composition in there, and he makes it all sound beautiful. And that's the really cool thing is that, you know, I kind of cobble together some voiceover and try to make sense of the story and all the different clips that we bring in. And this guy, Noel, whom I'm staring at right now. <laughs> yeah, we're all looking real hard at you, Noel. Real hard. That guy right there. Um, you know, like he, he's listening sort of for the emotional soundscape. I don't want to get too ethereal here, but he really does listen for that. And so I think it's really interesting because it kind of melds those two different kinds of understandings that we get both through the spoken word, but also through, through sound cues. Well, what inspired you to create this new podcast? You know, I just, um, I'm, a, I'm an editor at heart, mm-hmm. I think. And so, I just thought to myself, I really would like to play in this form and I'd like to be able to take in all these different voices, particularly here at How Stuff Works, because I feel like everybody here has an amazing base of knowledge to work off of and has really interesting perspectives. Let's try to bring all that together into to one podcast. Is there something that you've learned so far in your research that has just lit your brain on fire? I don't know if I should reveal it here, and I'm not sure how Josh Clark of Stuff You Should Know feels about revealing this, but he was a b-boy. Like, like he won competitions, and like he was in his paper, and yes, yes. I, seeing uh, Josh <laughs> walk through the halls, lo these many years, I would not have guessed that he was a breakdancer. In his button-up plaid shirt. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's amazing. That is the stuff of life that I can't wait to learn about, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm hoping that uh, that we get to weave in uh, you all's fine voices as well, because that will be an episode on men dancing, and, and in particular, why men don't dance. Huh. And Caroline. Why Caroline doesn't dance either. But yes, men, too. Definitely men. I think I saw you dance at the company dance. That's a lie. The company dance party. <laughs> the company <laughs> at our holiday home, party. At our house of works prom. I might have... Uh, shaken a leg or two. So, Julie, where can people go to listen to Stuff of Life? I'm glad that you asked. Um, you can go uh, to many fine purveyors of podcasts, including iTunes. And the first episode will be published on January 27th. And then it'll be a weekly podcast. And so what you should expect is that the first one will be a little bit more around the meaty side. And then the second one that follows will be more of a companion piece to it. And so it'll be a little bit shorter and sometimes lighter. Well, Julie, we can't wait to tune in. And Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, be sure you tune into The Stuff of Life, hosted by Julie Douglas, because it's going to be fantastic. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, listeners, we want to hear from you, younger, older, our age. Do you feel this aging angst and the wrinkle and crow's feet and laugh lines? 
angst as well. And also, fellas, too, we want to hear your voices on it as well, because you're being marketed to more than ever before about your wrinkles. So write to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. So Kristen and I have a set of letters here in the wake of our two-parter with uh, a practical wedding founder, Meg Keen, and these are both about name changes. Uh, so Michelle writes, in your recent podcast on a feminist marriage, the topic of changing your last name was discussed. When I married almost six years ago, I changed my last name. I received a lot of sideways looks from friends and coworkers when they asked if I would be changing my name or not. I was shocked at the amount of negative feedback and what I felt like was judgment for changing my last name. It was a huge bummer during an exciting time in my life. It was treated as if I was making some kind of anti-feminist statement. In reality, the reason why I changed my last name was because my maiden name was actually my dad's last name. My dad was never really in my life, so I took this opportunity to take a last name that actually meant something to me. During casual conversations with coworkers, this type of reasoning wasn't really something I wanted to bring up or felt like I needed to justify. In the end, it was my decision, and I feel as though I made the right one. Anyways, it was an interesting time in my life, and I thought I'd share the perspective from someone who did change their last name. Well, so thank you, Michelle. I appreciate it. And I feel like this is excellent encouragement for all of us, regardless of how you feel about any aspect of wedding or marriages, to maybe keep your opinions to yourself when someone else is telling you what they're planning to do with their lives. I've got a letter here from Courtney, and she writes, My husband and I got married a few years ago on a Saturday. I had until noon the following Monday to add him to my health insurance at work. I ran into the HR office right after they opened that day, marriage license in hand, and asked the lady working there to add my husband as a dependent. I bet you haven't had a chance to get your new social security card or driver's license made with your new last name on it yet, so there's nothing I can do for you, she said. Pushing the license forward, I told her I wasn't changing my name and to add my husband immediately. I wish I could say this was the last time people have had issues with me not changing my name. There are friends and family who insist on addressing me by my husband's last name or using Mrs. when I prefer Ms. However, there's one person in my life who is pushed in the opposite direction of everyone else. My sister-in-law tried really hard to convince my husband to take my last name because it's the cooler last name. We both like the idea, but we're pretty sure his parents would be extremely upset. In the end, we both kept our own names. Thanks for the awesome shows and good luck wedding planning. Well, thanks, Courtney, and thanks, everybody, who's written in to us. MomStuffAtHowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, including this one, so you can learn more about wrinkles, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 